The Crux of the Matter, Episode 64, Honor Among Pastors. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. And this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey Scott, how are you this fine Saturday as we record? Yeah, it's it's a it's a sunny day here in Orange County. Yeah. So what about you guys? You getting any rain? Uh, yeah, we've gotten a lot of rain this week. In fact, um, it's overcast yeah, right here. now. So I feel like I'm mm-hmm. in the Midwest. Um, we don't get rain very often around here, but uh, so it mm-hmm. goes. It's a uh, it's a good day. Um, what are you uh, What are you teaching and or learning nowadays? Pray tell. Well, teaching and or learning. Um, so on uh, Friday, this is a Saturday morning when we're recording. Right. On, on on Friday, I had the joy of teaching on the doctrine of angels. Oh. And I always like doing that. It's Obviously, it's not the most important doctrine in our systematic theology, uh, the doctrine of angels. But um, it is a biblical teaching. And, I mean, the angels are present in significant points, both in the Old and the New Testament. So I always like to spend at least – Half a day or, or three quarters of a day uh, on uh, on uh, on this topic. So what I do is I pull out classic artwork and uh, of angels, you know, like the Annunciation or the um, the Resurrection and things like that. And we we just discuss the role of angels in the life of Christ and in our lives. Um, but then, of course, I I always talk about fallen angels and demons. Do a little bit of demonology. And sure. talk about Satan and demonic possession. So there's, uh, you know, it, it's 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 a little more of a I, I I don't know if this is the right word, but fun topic. Um, so the kids seem to engage in a little more, especially since I show the artwork and ask them to respond. So that's what I did on Friday, and what I'm learning about in my class from Loyola on social justice and bioethics is uh, health disparities around the world. And so that's what I've been having my nose dug in deep for the last few days. Boy, I have to say, Scott, that doesn't sound like (laughs) something I would be jumping up and down about learning. Um, (laughs) Although I'm sure it's terribly important. I don't mean to deny that. Um, So, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting indeed. Well, um, on the teaching end of things, I'm still working my way through uh, Dr. Just's uh, liturgy video series on Sunday mornings. Uh, uh, and uh, well, ironically, I guess we are we are doing Luther's reform of the mass this Sunday um, tomorrow. So that will be a that will kind of be a helpful alignment. We're doing uh, Reformation Sunday, and uh, and so that'll be be a good thing to kind of look at what was what was Luther's razor that he was using as he was as he was looking at the rite of the mass and what what stayed and what what did he attempt to cut out along the way. So that's been that's been good. Mm-hmm. On the learning end of things, I am. I'm kind of nose deep into a paper that I'm that I'm writing for my class that the title of the paper or the topic of the paper is uh, is essentially what is your operative theology of preaching? That's kind of the assignment. So in other words, uh, how do you think about the task of preaching in terms of your identity, as well as what are the kind of what are the pieces that come into play as you are uh, working on preparing a sermon. So that's a, and that's obviously a, 
a, a topic that you could go almost anywhere on, frankly. But uh, but it, that's been good. Because the, a theology, of, a theology of preaching. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. Um, and what I'm trying to do is is sort of map out how the the opening articles of the Augsburg Confession essentially give us our theology of preaching. That's that's how I'm approaching it right now. Um, hopefully it will make sense by the end. But, you know, in order that we may obtain this faith, God has instituted, mm-hmm. etc., um, so we'll see yeah. how that uh, we'll see how that pans out. But that's my that's my plan for uh, for right now. And I'm thinking on that a lot and kind of trying to trying to come up with good source material for that, etc. It's fun. I like it. So, so are you so are you are you thinking, uh, you know, the sequence of the doctrines as they're treated in the Augsburg Confession as paradigm for preaching? Yeah, well, you know, as sin, sin, grace, justification. Yeah, uh, I guess that what I'm. But what I'm really starting with is, and this is not any kind of deep insight, I don't think, pastor identity shapes the theology of preaching. How you see yourself as a pastor and what you see a pastor as is going to shape what you do when it comes to preaching. And and for us, the... Uh, our identity is is defined by the scriptures and kind of shaped by the Lutheran confessions. That's that's sort of how we see ourselves. So we have in in Article Five that uh, that awesome German word predigtamt, you know, preaching office as the uh, you know this is sort of the title. This is the term that is used in the confessions for what a pastor is and does. And, uh, and I really mm-hmm. love that. So that's kind of what I'm, that's what I'm trying to work off of. I'm confident we will talk about it more because yeah. what else will we be talking about? So we'll see though. I'm, I'm really enjoying it. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Good. <clears throat> so our uh, topic for today was suggested to us by our friend, Father Anthony over at goodguyswearblack.com. This is our, uh, can you have a sister podcast? I don't know. I suppose that makes sense. Something like that. Cousin podcast, maybe. Um, and Father Anthony uh, wrote, and and I'm just going to read what he uh, uh, what he said, and then we can kind of work off it from there. Uh, this is Father Anthony. I'm working on a show on, quote, honor among priests, where I go over the unwritten and, alas, often transgressed code of conduct among priests. If you have time, could you share your thoughts on this, such as, do y'all have norms of behavior? Don't criticize other pastors in front of the laity. How are they maintained? Have they broken down across generations? So that's kind of his, um, that that's his question. And I thought that that is a, a really a pretty worthy question for us to consider. Uh, what what are the boundaries by which we interact with other with other pastors are there are there kind of rules either spoken or unspoken on how we are to treat one another uh in front of our congregations how does that uh how does that play out uh, you have any initial thoughts on that my friend what was uh ronald reagan's 11th commandment <laughs> that's right uh you know, don't don't publicly criticize other Republicans. Yeah, I think was I think was uh, Ronald Reagan's eleventh commandment. So yeah, I you know I I I don't know to be frank 
if the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod does real well on this. <laughs> um, maybe we used to. I, I don't even know if that's true. Um, I think that pastors are pretty critical of each other yeah, and not necessarily in a hidden way. Um, I, you know, we, we have this sense of warning the sheep against false teachers. And if, even if we're in the same communion, we often identify false teaching, um, rightly or wrongly. Right. And, um, you know, seek to now, I think those who have maybe better upbringing <laughs> are more, uh, you know, polite about it, but, um, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. What do you think? Well, it's, it's a hard topic, frankly, because what we have, I think is a, an on paper presumption of complete uniformity in doctrine and practice and mm -hmm. what the, and, and what diversity exists um, exists within a pretty small framework of what is normed. So, um, so that's our kind of on paper thing. And I think that in many respects, we try to maintain a facade of that, that this is kind of, kind of the, kind of the case. I mean, this is my, mm -hmm. my impression and, and I've only served in a couple different districts, so it could vary from place to place, I suppose. Uh, but at the same time, we, we live in a, in a culture that is deeply, deeply divided and divisive. And, uh, and I would add to that, that I, that I think that our kind of entrepreneurial spirit of gaining members creates a built-in competition where uh, the notion of, uh, well, if someone comes to visit my church, let's just take it real concretely. Someone comes to visit my church and they say they've just moved into the area. They're thinking about what church to join. They've visited my place. They've visited a couple other places. Um, there is always going to be one part of me that is going to, uh, want to, first of all, hold up the good that we are, which I think is good, uh, but is also going to want to kind of, you know, pick at my neighbors, <laughs> basically, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because I want them to join my church. Now, I, I work pretty hard not to, uh, uh, not to do that in practice, but the temptation is always there. Uh, so that's kind of number, uh, number one, is I think that our structure kind of makes us out to be com competitive with one another and not brothers. And mm -hmm. I think that that is a real, real challenge and difficulty um, that, that we face. Now, what the solution is for that, I'm not sure. There's no, um, there's no easy answer to that because if I am, um, I guess that the first, the first part of the answer to that has to be though, you have to actually be in communication with one another. You have to actually mm -hmm. be together. And that's hard because if there are disagreements and, the, and they can be, you know, color of the carpet level disagreements, but they could also be communion practice disagreements, worship practices. They can be much more serious matters. If, um, uh, I don't know, I, I, it makes it very hard to 
figure out how to establish a communication basis. So, I mean, and this could almost be a topic on Winkles as much as it is anything else. But um, but it it is a real tough thing. And frankly, I think Facebook and Twitter and social media has made that worse because that depersonalizes mm-hmm. our um, depersonalizes kind of everything. And uh, and that's true for our people as well. And and also this is this is kind of my last sub rant and then I'll shut up for a second. Um this is not modeled well in the public in the public square. Hmm. Um, you look at how our political candidates treat each other in public, um, and you are not exactly seeing a uh, a level of polite discourse. You know, you've got one candidate accusing the other of rank misogyny and and uh, and corruption. It's just. It's just crazy pants. And so how does that not rub off in our interactions with one another as pastors? And then how does that affect how our parishioners treat one another? Because those things kind of go together. Well, I, I'm with you, you know, and, and I would touch on the point that you made about communication. And I think that here's one observation I've made. You know, both Todd and I went to the same seminary. And I think that the guys who went to that same seminary have maybe a greater level of not that it's perfect or, or but have a greater level of this respect amongst priests with each other than they do with those who went to the other seminary or, sure. or were trained in an alternate way. And it may go the other direction, too. But um, uh in a in a national church body like ours, I mean, I understand, you know, in the days when, you know, there was, you know, when travel was difficult and communication wasn't like it is now, uh, you could have regional seminaries and stuff like this. But maybe what we need is more interaction, but we have only two, two real seminaries. And maybe if they interacted more um, or, you know, if we had one seminary, of course, that has some problems, too. Because if it's, you know, it's nice to have checks and balances to have two, at least two schools, I believe. But, yep. um, but I, I do think that there is, you know, I'm more likely, unconsciously more likely to cut some slack to guys who I went to school with sure. or who had the same profs that I had or because we know each other or we know, you know, there's a kinship. And I, I don't know, maybe that's not a major no, point I think, in this I whole. think there's a sense to that, uh, you know, and I, just by way of comparison – you know, I just got back not too long ago from my uh, from my intensive for my class at Aquinas, and I have uh, there are ten of us in this class, um, and seven of those ten are either deacons or priests. Okay, none of those seven, to my knowledge, went to the same schools. Yeah. So, right. you know, they went to schools. The, the Roman Catholic. Yeah, yeah, right. Roman Catholic. They went to schools all over the country. Uh, none of them went to the same prep schools. None of them went to the same to the same seminaries. So their uh, their training is extremely regionalized. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and it's interesting because that really means that they do not have a common um they don't have that common educational background, although obviously there's a common uh, norm of teaching to some degree, at least. Uh, but that does kind of mean that they have to start from scratch when you meet somebody. And I always feel like, and maybe this is just 
Now, I don't think this is just me. When you meet a new when you meet a new pastor, a new pastor comes into your uh, into your circuit or or whatever. There's always this kind of dance that you end up doing of sort of figuring out where this guy is theologically and, and politically and everything else. And so you kind of try to figure out what questions can I ask that aren't going to that aren't going to seem rude, but that'll give me a hint. It, it's kind of silly, frankly, but um, but that's kind of what you what what I saw happening across the board there. Now, mm-hmm. what I appreciated, what I appreciate about my, my cohort in this group is that there is a, a great presumption of, of unity. And in some respects, I think that's what we lack mm-hmm. is that presumption of unity. And, and so how does that actually play out very concretely in uh, in the lives of the congregation. So here's here's my uh, here's my theory. You can tell me if I'm crazy. How I treat fellow pastors in my you know in my area uh, is how I teach my congregation to treat each other. Basically, so mm-hmm. if I am bad mouthing them, if I am um, if I am talking ill of them or ignoring them <laughs> or doing whatever, then mm-hmm. uh, I am teaching my congregation how to treat each other. And, uh, and I fear that we kind of create our own demons in that way. When, uh, when I kind of develop a very suspicious, negative posture toward my uh, brother pastors in the area, uh, I'm basically teaching my congregation not to uh, not to care for one another, not to trust one another, not to not to do anything. Now, I don't have an answer for this. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. But it is um, it is a big uh, I think it's a big challenge. Well, we hold each other to tremendous standards, don't we? You know, I mean, and and um, I, I'm not against standards and I'm in favor of doctrinal purity and um, holiness of life and those things. But um, I, I do think that there is an element of legalism, uh, not just in our church, but in human nature, um, you know, just that we that we judge each other, not just fellow pastors, but just as human beings. We're always evaluating each other and determining our own value based on how we evaluate those next to us. Um, and, and I don't think pastors are above it. I, I don't I don't know if we're worse or better than other denominations, but I don't think we're above that. I think yeah. we do the same thing. I think we evaluate and and sometimes justly, you know, but other in other ways, you know, maybe it's not always just in the ways that we do things. And we're quick to jump to judgment and we're quick to jump to well, and particularly to judge motives, which is always pretty dangerous behavior yeah. in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. Uh, you know, I think that there's just something in human nature which holds – I'm reading this great little book. I was going to mention this as my joy bringer. Can I do it now? Can I just say what it was? You can say what it is. Well, you know, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll do it again. So um, uh, I'm reading this great little book called Long Gospel. It's not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> um, it's called Long Gospel. I think it's called Theology for Saints and Sinners or for sinners and saints, maybe. And um, it's written by, actually it's written by these Episcopalian guys. Um, well, one of the authors is named David Zoll. And they just talk a lot about um, 
in their section on the law, they, they just speak a lot about how we're always kind of uh, trying to judge each other. And, and there's a basis that is often based in control. Right. Uh, you know, that we, we want to have a sense of control over ourselves, over God, over each other. And I, I, I just don't think our clergy are above that. Maybe we need to do a better job of instilling um, at least a modicum of, you know, we enter every relationship, like you were saying, with the hermeneutic of suspicion. Yep. And maybe we need to, you know, beat that out of ourselves a little more. Uh, you know, there's, there is room for some of that. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I, 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 I suspect for some it's more of – it's almost like the, there's glee in it and that's not right. Right, right. Well, um, I, you know, with, uh, with me working on this topic of preaching, I'm I'm paying much more attention to how preachers kind of view each other in the topic of preaching. And one thing that I have very much picked up – I think this is true in seminary. I think that this is true today – is that uh, preachers hate preaching to each other. Um, sure. and, and I think that there are a couple reasons to that. Uh, first of all, you have the fact that, um, each of us is our own little kind of egotistical, I know what I'm doing person. And so it's very easy to be critical of other people and especially other people that are doing the exact same thing you are. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's also a sense of, uh, envy sometimes, um, but there's a sense of, of mistrust that if I'm preaching to a group of preachers, are they going to be harder on me than my congregation? Because they kind of know my flaws better. They can see what mm -hmm. I'm doing in the sermon and can, you know, they can sort of see shortcuts and whatever. So, so again, there's not this sense of we're going to build each other up. We're going to learn together on how to do this better and encourage one another. There is a, there is a sense of, you know, that's of almost dread with this. And I find that, um, I, I find that tragic, but very, very common. And I think this kind of speaks mm -hmm. to what, mm -hmm. uh, uh, to what this topic is. Now, yeah. do you, do you think that, um, do you think that pastors have an unspoken uh, code, the the Reagan code, uh, with laity? You know that we don't kind of publicly criticize other pastors in front of the laity. I think that some of us do. Okay. Uh, but I don't necessarily think it's instilled in us by our church culture. Okay. Um, I think it's just whether you are the type of person who likes to do that more than other people. Okay. You oh, know, I, I mean, so fair. in other words. I, I think it's individual. I do think there are some. I know some very fine. What I'm trying to s express is that you know there needs to be a sort of good manners is, is what what I I feel like this reduces to. It's not just a code of behavior. It's just, it's just being it's just being a decent person. You know, I I, I don't I. I, I I don't I don't think it's a good idea to criticize laity in front of laity. Right. And I certainly don't think it's a good I absolutely think it's a bad idea to criticize laity in front of clergy. Right. I'm not, if I'm complaining about my congregation to other pastors, um God did not give me as as Dietrich Bonhoeffer says <laughs> in life together. It's just right. on the tip of my tongue. Yep. You, you see. Yep. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says that uh uh you know, uh, God did not put us in a position to accuse our congregations. He did not call us to this post so that we can accuse our congregations to God or to others. So, you know, I I think that that there's a certain 
code that some people just have and, and others, but I don't know that I don't think our church culture inculcates this very well. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And now I do think it, I think it's tough because I think that there is a sense where it can be a, a good thing for pastors to be able to kind of uh, take the collar off, so to speak, and lament together on the difficulties of the office um, and such. I, I think that there's benefit to that. Uh, but there is also a, a tremendous danger because if you see your, your congregation as your charge from God, that you, are, that you are there to serve them, to care for them, to love them. Well, here's a parallel. It is uh, I will all, I, I can't think of a time when I, when I am, when I have publicly or even privately criticized my wife to somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's a very good comparison yeah, to what I, being a just, pastor in a congregation. You just don't do it. If I am, mm -mm. if I am, un, if I am unhappy, if I have, if I'm having some struggle or something, maybe I go to private confession. <laughs> Um, mm -hmm. but I go to her, not to somebody mm -hmm. else, uh, because mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I don't have the, uh, I don't have the right to speak ill of my own flesh and blood, so to speak. Now, if mm -hmm. that is, if that is true for my, uh, for my wife, how is that different for my congregation? Um, I, I totally agree. I, I, I think that's a very good analogy and that when you enter a relationship like, like marriage or like a call to a congregation, um, I don't want them bad-mouthing me to the world. Um, and it's probably not a good idea for me to do that against them. Even, you know, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, to God, um, to, to complain to God about these people is, is not is certainly not going to damn me to hell, but it's not a good precedent to set. I'm going um, to take a – and obviously I'm not looking at the Bonhoeffer quotation, so I can't, I can't know mm -hmm. the context. But I will take a little bit of uh, – uh, a little bit of different tact on that and say the precise person that, that you should lament to um, uh, in struggles with your congregation is to God in prayer. Hmm. Um, and so we don't, at least I don't think it's healthy to get into a mindset of um, I've got to, I've got to simply grin and bear it. Um, but that is precisely how I am to, uh, to sort of deal with this is with God. Um, but to deal with this, not as a um, Lord, will you remove this thorn or, um, you know, Lord, take this person home now because I don't want to deal with them anymore. Um, that's exactly that's uh, it, it, that's not not particularly healthy. But boy, is it. And I guess this is my hesitation there. That is honest in the sense that that may very well be how we feel at the time. And so yeah. is there a context in which our complaints either to either regarding our own people or regarding brother pastors? Uh, is there any context in which that complaint is to be addressed other than going directly to them? I mean, because certainly, that you know, I don't know. I, I, I think that I think we just should complain less. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> 
Yes, I, I, I agree that, with that. that. You know, I think <laughs> I think that give, giving ourselves permission to complain to God is giving ourselves permission to complain and to be ungrateful and to be unsatisfied and discontent with the things He's given. And right. and while I don't think. I don't think God is going to, you know, like I said, I, I think God can handle it. I, I'm not worried about him striking me with lightning. Um, but, you know, I mean, I always think of Job, right? You know, right. I mean, Job had a reason to complain. And when he did, God said, who are you? Yeah. Where were you when, when I set the foundations of the earth in place? So anyway, so I, I, I just think we should complain less about other people, either to God or to, you know, in our own minds. But yeah, I, I mean, there's a part of me that says you got to be able to vent. You got to be able to um, express your, uh, you know, your, your frustration with a friend who's not going to judge you. I mean, I think there's, right. there's truth in that too. But maybe but, too um, much truth. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think we should just complain less and yeah. and and be let and be more satisfied. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's 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 obviously an impossibility, right? You know, I mean, that's the law. It, it's an impossibility to 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 do that. Um, but uh, anyway, that, there that's kind of there is a sense of of kind of learning how to receive things as uh, as good. And how to mm -hmm. receive the things that God has given to me, um, even if they are even if they are crosses, and to and to recognize this is where God has placed me, and um, and and I think I think this is what you're getting at, Scott. You can tell mm -hmm. me if I'm wrong. And that essentially to complain about where God has placed me is to say I know better than you do, God, on what I should be dealing with. Oh yeah, that if God you would only listen to me. I could tell you how my life should go. Mm -hmm. Um, so and and there's no doubt that in our in our Facebook world, we are very much in a in a culture of oversharing, and that over and that oversharing can be uh, can be very can be very dangerous because it can be it, it can certainly lead to uh, narcissism. No doubt about that. But it can yes. also, but it can also lead to uh, that kind of um, vitriolic uh, biting, biting against one another that uh, uh, that that is not healthy. Hmm. Well, wh why must we express every thought we have? <laughs> That's a legitimate wh question. Yeah, why why do you have the right to express every thought you have? You know, I mean, I think there are times when we have to get control of our thoughts. Right. And uh, again, I know this is law and um uh, but I I I do th you know this whole this whole topic is law. What's the code of conduct about right. uh, you know among And I I think the code of conduct amongst pastors ought to be the code of conduct we have with people um in general and you know just like grandma said if you don't have something good to say don't say it. But I, you know, I always have a but <laughs> yep. and, uh, um, because I, you know, there are times when you must criticize someone. There are times when you must point e e even publicly, yep. Um, yep. you know, even public, there are appropriate times to public criticize someone publicly. But if you're uh, constantly criticizing those appropriate yes. times don't stand out. Yes, yeah, exactly. That's a good way. To, that's exactly right. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we're uh, uh, and we're not particularly dealing with false doctrine things here, but um, uh, which I think could, could almost be another topic. 
if any mm-hmm. of our listeners have any other thoughts on this or kind of how are we missing, what are we missing here, uh, please write to us, feedback at thecruxofthematter.net. You can find the show notes for this episode at thecruxofthematter.net slash podcast slash 64. And I would encourage you to do so. We always appreciate uh, we always appreciate hearing from our listeners. Um, I think we've uh, kind of exhausted this topic for right now, Scott. Have we kind of? I, I do. All I right. do. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I think that this this has opened a lot of doors for other things. Uh, one thing before we get to our joy bringers is uh, is just I wanted to say thank you to anyone who uh, contributed toward our uh, our annual. Our annual uh, asking for uh, for money uh, to uh, help pay for the podcast, we got about about forty dollars in, something like that. So um, we're not going to be uh, knocking down NPR's door anytime soon. But we appreciate everyone who donated, and uh, and if you haven't done so, I would encourage you to please consider doing so. You can find it on our website. So you gave us a hint on what your uh, on what your joy bringer is this uh, law gospel, not the one you're thinking of book. Uh, why don't you tell yeah. us about it, Scott? Yeah. Okay. So there's a uh, there's a website called Mockingbird. I don't know if you if you've discovered this yet, Todd, but I think you'd enjoy it. Um, what it is is uh, a group of basically some some branch of Episcopalianism or Anglicanism. Um, in America that are enraptured with the law and gospel theology. So they're Lutherans and they don't know it? Yeah, yeah. They're writing great stuff and they're holding conferences, law gospel conferences. They're reading Walter. They're reading John Pless. They're reading Harold St. Paul. I mean they're reading our authors. Interesting. And – and commenting on it and they're, and they're incorporating it and they're actually expressing it in ways that is kind of neat. You know, I mean, they've got some really creative writers on their website. You can go to Mockingbird. I don't know if it's Mockingbird.com or what, but if you look it up, you'll find it. Well, they, they publish books as well. They have podcasts and they publish books. They do movie reviews. They do all kinds of neat stuff on their website. Uh, there's, uh, uh, and, um, Paul and David Zoll, a father's son are both, uh, writers and have written books and, um, David Zoll and a couple of other authors um, have written this book called Law and Gospel. It's actually it's only a hundred pages long. It's super easy to read. It's something I'm thinking about getting and just maybe even having as a handout for people. Hmm. Law and Gospel: A Theology for Sinners and Saints. And it it just it's just stuff you know. You know, I mean, it's our, our it's sort of the Lutheran dynamic of Law and Gospel. You know, it's Waltherian in that respect. Walt, you know, sure. uh, our our, our first president of our synod, but, um, uh, but it's coming from a different angle. So they're talking about it, but I don't, I don't, I've, I'm, I'm about two thirds of the way through the book and I, 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 you know, they, they get the atonement, right. You know, I'm looking for errors <laughs> you know? right? because I'm one of those guys, right. Yeah. That we just been talking about. And, um, I'm looking for errors and, and I, you know, I see that they're, they're talking about propitiation They're I think they're talking about justification in, in a way that I can recognize as well. And so I don't, which is always something, you know, whenever I'm always afraid that, because I have read authors who talk about forgiveness, but forget to talk about the atonement, right? Which you is know, awkward. That, that Jesus, which is awkward. Yeah. I think Nadia Boltz does that. She's God's forgiving, but she sure as heck doesn't think that Jesus took the wrath of God upon the cross. Right. But that's right. just evil. That's an evil doctrine. Um, so she, so she would reject the substitutionary atonement, but she believes in forgiveness and, and, um, which I think is just, you know, 
I can't say the word I think that that is. Yeah. Um, so so this is a great little book so far. I, I, I you know I, I hesitate to recommend a book I haven't completely read, but I'm about two thirds of the way through, and it's it's been it's been a joy to read so far. Cool. Well, that sounds like an yeah. interesting book, and of course, taking a topic like law and gospel, which is sort of our bread and butter as Lutheran pastors, <laughs> and looking at it through the lens of another church body that mm-hmm. is going to have. Uh, you know, different perspectives, different presuppositions, etc. That's a that's a very helpful exercise, I think. That's a very useful well, process. And, and they're able to translate this. I think this book would be great for college students because they're able to translate this into everyday talk. It sure. just doesn't read. It doesn't read like a book of theology. But it's but they're not trying to be hip. That's right. different. Right. Right. You know, I, I, they're not trying to be hip and clever. They just they just have a fresh way of writing, and that's um, I, I I'm enjoying it personally. Cool. So that's my that's my joy bringer. Oh, excellent! That's a good that's a good pick for sure. Well, mine is a uh, is a website and a video series, uh, and the website is called preachbyear.com. This is one of the things we did in our um, in our intensive last week, and the author his name is um, David McClellan has done a series of videos. You can order these videos for like, I think they translate into about $23. It's, it's through Canada. So there's a, you know, a little bit of an exchange there, but it was $23 when I ordered it. So it's like seven or eight videos. The whole thing together is probably a couple hours. I'm going to guess. But what he does is, is essentially takes a lot of the conversations, a lot of the thoughts that, that we have had and that we have talked about in the past about the uh, the orality of the gospel, you know, faith comes by hearing. The notion that um, that hearing and uh, and and listening is a very different experience than reading. Um, and he takes that and and applies that to the process of preparing sermons and preaching sermons. Uh, he particularly uses a um, an old dead white guy. Uh, Roman uh, Roman rhetorician named Quintilian talks about Quintilian quite a lot. Quintilian, I think, was roughly the same time as Jesus, and um, and and really has a fascinating discussion on on how we learn, how we how we talk, how we listen, how we kind of internalize things. One of the one of the pieces from this uh, video series that has really fascinated me. Is that uh, is his argument is if you write out your sermon and and probably ninety percent of the time in my ministry I write out my sermons I think you mm-hmm. do too yeah me too yeah um, if you write out your sermon uh, the danger of writing out your sermon he would argue is that you are externalizing the text so that now the text is not uh, is not coming from within you it is it is literally outside of you. And that in order to um, in order to have ethos, kind of credibility with your listeners, uh, the tech your um, your topic, your your um, presentation has to come from within, not from uh, not simply reading it. And and every preacher knows the experience of kind of uh, of essentially reading a sermon and not mm-hmm. preaching a sermon. And there is a, a, mm-hmm. a fundamental difference there. So that's kind of what he is, um, what he's playing with. And it is a fascinating, fascinating uh, 
uh, watch. Um, I would encourage our uh, listeners to, uh, if you've got 20 bucks to spend and you'd like to like to kind of think about these things in a different way, I think it would be worth your time. I'll probably be talking about it more in the future because I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm doing a, a thought experiment and I'm, and I'm trying to use his, um, his method for the next few weeks. I'm preaching, uh, did it last week and it went well. Um, uh, because basically that means making, I don't know, kind of sort of an outline, but, uh, but using, using a very, very different way of preparing yourself to preach. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm really enjoying it. Preachbyear.com. Yeah. And I'm looking at the website now and it says that they're going out of business and, yeah, I know. Uh, at the end, at the end of the year. So I'm just saying if someone wants to get this, they need to grab it. Exactly so. So now is the now is the time. I think it is worth the uh, worth the effort along the way. So good. Great. Any uh, final thoughts for our dear listener, Scott? None. No. None. Well, uh, happy Reformation Day to all the Lutherans. Uh, happy Saturday to all of the non-Lutherans that are listening. And with that, we will uh, see you next time. Goodbye. <laughs>